Welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and on this week's edition, the Hungarian Grand Prix, it's one for all at Mercedes, but all for one at Ferrari. That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. sitting on a Hungarian balcony in beautiful Budapest. I'd love to say that I have a bowl of goulash soup in front of me, but it's far too warm for that kind of thing. It's been a hot weekend at the Hungaro Ring and an action-packed and tense one. And to go through it with me now is freelance motorsport and F1 journalist Abhishek Takla. How are you? I'm good, Michael. Thank you for having me on the show. It's good to have you back, indeed. Something of a tradition. We end the first half of the season. Last year was on a train. Yes. This year it's a little bit more comfortable. Yes, last year was after Hockenheim, wasn't it? Yes. We went into the summer break, yes. Well, I think we were riding off Nico Rosberg at the time, weren't we? Yes, and, and, and look how that turned out. <laughs> so, uh, you were not very reliable. <laughs> yeah, an asterisk next to any predictions in today's program. But that's okay. It's not a predictions program. We get to look back at the races, so we kind of can't be wrong in that sense. Uh, well, we're going to say that anyway. I, I think that could be the new tagline for the strategy report we can't be wrong and then just see how we go <laughs> it was a good race I had a lot of fun this race I thought it was a great crescendo to the first half of what has been a, a better start to the season than I think a lot of us expected this time last year yes it was I mean it started out as a it seemed to be uh, you know a very straightforward race to start off with mm. uh, once the Ferrari sort of kept their lead off the line and with it so difficult to overtake around the Hungaro ring it seemed like they would cruise to victory but obviously, Fettel's uh, steering problems uh, opened up the prospect for Mercedes to go and challenge for the win. Because mm-hmm. Raikkonen was held up and, and, and threw up all sorts of fascinating storylines along the way as well. Absolutely. And it's one of those circuits, I mean, to, to paint the picture for anyone, it, it's always, almost always warm, we should say. Difficult to overtake because it's quite an old school, narrow circuit and places a lot of emphasis on aerodynamics rather than engine performance because there aren't very many straights, but there are a lot of slow and medium uh, speed corners, which really means that cars like Red Bull Racing traditionally do quite well here. This year is Ferrari that does quite well here. Not that Mercedes didn't do well, it must be said, but they have struggled with these kind of circuits so far this year, and that was one of the stories foreshadowing this race. We think about Monaco, to a lesser extent Sochi. Mercedes were expected to perhaps not be on their game here. Yeah, I think so. But but going in, you still had to say Hamilton was favourite for a record-extending sixth Hungarian yes. win. And that was simply because, uh, you know, probably uh, our perception had been coloured by the margin of his victory at Silverstone, which was an utterly dominant win. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, uh, Mercedes seemed to have gotten on top of the diva, as they call their car. Yes. Uh, from Monaco to now. And mm. uh, they had... They had won three of the la- three of the last four races in the build-up to the Monaco Grand Prix, mm-hmm. and would have been four had it not been for Hamilton's loose headrest in Baku. So, it seemed like for uh, Mercedes, sorry, were pulling clear. But Ferrari were right back in it in Hungary again. Yeah, which does offer promise for the rest of the championship. Uh, We'll wait and see how that goes in about a month's time. But another team that was expected to do quite well here was, of course, McLaren. Now, we've well-storied and chronicled the various problems McLaren's been facing in the last couple of years. Honda Power Unit is the answer. Uh, But, of course, as we were saying, a circuit that doesn't put a lot of emphasis on performance of the engine was a good opportunity for McLaren to prove that, yes, their chassis is still good. They haven't forgotten how to be a Formula 1 team. It's just a thing in the back. uh, and practice again suggested that that would be something that could be on the cards. Yes, I think going in, there was no doubt that McLaren would go well here because this race offered them, uh, I think, only their, offered them the chance to score only the second points finish of the season and a double points finish. And mm. as it happened, that's what happened. But uh, I think the question mark really was, yes, they've got a good chassis, 
but would the engine last the distance? Yeah, which was always the question. They strategically took a bunch of penalties in Silverstone, particularly with Fernando Alonso's car, because they knew they weren't going to go very well there. But in Hungary, that was their chance. They wanted to ensure reliability. And it did. I actually can't think of any problems they had. Actually, Stoffel van Dorn in practice, I think, had a, had a momentary engine problem where it switched off, I think. But he even got he it got restarted on the track. Yes. Yep. Very clean weekend for Honda. These yep. kind of things. Oh, count your blessings, I think. Uh, we got into practice, though, and Red Bull Racing looked extremely quick during Friday practice. Red, Daniel Ricciardo was, was very bullish. In fact, the whole weekend, up until he crashed out, as he we was mentioned. so hooked up on Friday, wasn't he? Mm. Until, it, was just, yeah. uh, it was just unfortunate that on uh, in the final practice session, when he could have been limbering up for Mm-hmm. For, for pole position potentially yes um, he was sidelined by the hydraulics failure he said it cost him it cost him some preparation time mm-hmm. of course it, it would have but but yeah Red Bull looked very good this weekend as well yeah inversely though Ferrari didn't look quite as good as expected on Friday and one of the interesting stories that I've seen is that uh, on Friday afternoon, after Antonio Giovinazzi had been in the Haas car momentarily, he did crash it, Ferrari sent him back to Maranello and sat him in the simulator to try and find the problems that were holding them back in practice so that they could change their setup on Saturday. And lo and behold, by the time we got to Saturday, Ferrari was looking like the number one team. Yeah. Uh, they locked out the front row as they mm. did in Monaco. And I don't think they had any challengers in qualifying, to no. be honest. No, I mean, was, Mercedes admitted as yeah. from Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. I know he's in a bit of a mood after qualifying, but said, yeah. I was never in it for pole. <laughs> and uh, Red Bull seemed to have dropped away a little bit in qualifying from their Friday form. Mm-hmm. Ricardo was compromised by a lack of preparation uh, on Saturday morning. But Verstappen came good in qualifying yes. after struggling on Friday and in, in the final practice session. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it all indications for Sunday's race pointed to a nice, exciting, mm-hmm. intriguing three-way battle. Yeah, exactly. And it's what we all wanted to happen, but it lasted about half a lap. Now, to paint the picture very briefly, yes, it's very warm. It was expected to be somewhere very close between a one-stop and a two-stop. The advantage of the one-stop was that you wouldn't have to get stuck in traffic with one-stop, but the two-stop was actually marginally quicker, especially if it was going to be quite warm. Track temperatures weren't quite as hot as on qualifying. They were very close, but they did decrease over the course of the afternoon rather than warm up, which did help a little bit. But the number one thing that helped strategy here happened at turn two when Max Verstappen, dare I say, punted Daniel Ricciardo off the circuit in an ambitious attempt to retake a position he'd lost to his teammate. That's right. I, I wouldn't even say half a lap. I, I, I would say that our hopes for a three-way battle mm. were dashed two corners in. Yes, exactly. By uh, an over-optimistic Max Verstappen. Well, mm. look, he, he made a mistake. He uh, locked up... Uh, mm. And then once he's locked up, he's just the passenger and slid wide into Ricardo. Mm-hmm. It shows how much speed they were carrying through there. I mean, it's a slow circuit, but it's not unusual that we see drivers sort of bump in turns like that. But, mm. I mean, it shattered a, a hydraulic line. It, it was obvious damage to the radiator on the side pod as well. Yeah. Uh, and Ricardo was almost immediately out of the race, leaking fluid, caused a spin. He knew his day was over. He was extremely frustrated. What I think was interesting, we, we dwell on this for just a moment because ultimately Ricardo had no impact on this race. Uh, was that up until this point, I mean, looking at last year, we expected Red Bull Racing to be in the championship fight. And we were all in anticipation of how that rivalry between those two drivers would go. It's been very smooth this year because they haven't been fighting for a championship. But this is the first flashpoint on what could be a long driver partnership. Uh, And I just wonder how this is going to evolve. I thought it was interesting that Daniel Ricciardo went to talk to Helmut Marko afterwards. And I got this sense of the Mark Webber about it, where he didn't really like the answer he was given. Uh, I mean, do you think that could become a bit of a problem? 
I think for now the problem's been managed. But yes, it is the first flashpoint, and it could escalate if they end up fighting for the championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I expect it will escalate if they end up fighting for the championship. Look what happened with Nico and Lewis as well, and they mm-hmm. they were they were childhood friends basically, yes. chucking mattresses out of hotel rooms and whatnot, <laughs> as all childhood friends do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, thing is, I think I say it's managed uh, is because listening to um, watching uh, mm-hmm. Verstappen's interviews after the race, it was. He he seemed to really feel bad about it, and he seemed mm. to say, "Look, I'm sorry, I made a mistake." And and the thing is, you know, I have such a nice relationship with Daniel. Mm. He does that. There is truth to the fact uh, of what Christian Honor says that he does look up to Ricardo as a little bit of an older brother mm. in a way. So he he wasn't he he really was genuinely sorry about crashing into him. I think so. It's, mm. it's managed for now. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah. And it did have an effect on the race, mm. not just because it took out an entire team essentially from the running, because Max Verstappen got a 10 second time penalty for that manoeuvre, which is interesting because we don't often see penalties for intra-team clashes, but probably the right on balance that the, the stewards would penalise him. And it took them out of contention for what probably could have been a race win, because if we fast forward towards the end of the Grand Prix, and Max Verstappen does come in play a little bit towards the end as mm. well, he there was a point where he was 10 10.4 seconds off Sebastian Vettel as the leader uh, with about five laps to go, I think it was. So mm. it does underline how quick that car was this weekend and how much a part they should have played. Exactly. I mean, Red Bull were the cat among the pigeons mm-hmm. in, in many ways this weekend. And it's sad that they couldn't fulfill that potential. Ricardo, in particular, I feel really gutted about um, mm. about his retirement because he was in such bullish mood after qualifying. He told his rivals, he warned <laughs> his rivals, watch out for me because I'm going to mm. be aggressive tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. He said, I'm not going to have too many friends left. Mm-hmm. So he, he was just going for it. I mean, Red Bull, Ricardo, Verstappen, they have nothing to lose. They're not fighting for the championship. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for them. So they can, they can afford to take a bit of an all or nothing approach. But... Not with each other. Yeah, exactly. It's something that I'm sure will be emphasised over the mid-season break and we wait and see how they come back. Interesting, though, if we talk about the fight for the lead because this is where the strategic tension really did take place. Sebastian Vettel, unbeknownst to many, uh, we didn't find out until more or less halfway through the mm. race, but as soon as he started the race, knew there was some, a problem with his steering. Your car was pulling to the left, like a dodgy hire car you might hire from somewhere. Uh, and he had to cope with that the whole race. Now, in the first stint, it didn't seem to affect him too much. Ferrari was able to build a gap. Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen pulled away in first and second, and Bottas led Hamilton in what was effectively third and fourth with Verstappen, albeit with a penalty in between, didn't seem to have too much of a problem. And I think this comes down to the fact that Ferrari's historically this season looked very good on the super soft tyres, more so certainly than Mercedes. Yeah, I think Mercedes struggled with the super soft. They came good on the soft um, Mm. in the second stint, but uh, on the super softs, I think they were they were struggling to match mm-hmm. Ferrari and also sitting in all that dirty air that's why I think Bottas also had to drop back initially mm-hmm. to look after the tyres because uh, it would have been a two-stopper certainly for Mercedes mm-hmm. had the safety car not come out the yes. safety car window uh, op- uh, the safety car opened the one-stop window but only just marginally mm-hmm. in some teams cases which I think probably Mercedes was marginal on the one-stop as well mm-hmm. was because it was such an early safety car mm-hmm. but so I think there was an element of having to drop back and and, and mm. nurse, nurse their tyres a little bit there. And we should mention that safety car as well because it briefly sprung up other strategic possibilities. This was a safety car for Daniel Ricciardo. It lasted about five laps, which is exactly the, or more or less the difference between a one-stop or the first stop of a one-stop and a, or the first stop of a two-stop and a one-stop, I should say. Uh, Sauber, as is pretty much what they do in every race as a safety car, attempted to do a virtual zero-stop race. Ericsson and uh, Verline both stopped under that safety car and attempted to run the softs right till the end, but... 
It wasn't that kind of race. It was never really going to work. They had a go, but neither of them could make it. And ultimately, neither of them scored points. They're all looking for that uh, one race where Pascal scored earlier in the year with a magical one-stop. Yeah. But I don't know if that's going to be coming anytime soon again. Well, I guess Sauber have got to try, haven't they? They've got mm-hmm. to try something. Mm-hmm. And like you say, it worked in, in Spain. It didn't work here. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had anything to lose. And, I mean, yeah. there's yeah, nothing yeah. to lose for them, really. Uh, okay. Meanwhile, while Ferrari was having these problems with Sebastian Vettel after the safety car, uh, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas were both having problems of their own, not with performance, but with telemetry and communications. There was what Toto Wolff later revealed, a, a problem, a little crack in a fibre optic cable somewhere in their uh, home, uh, not their home base, in their garage area. I think they called it Fantasy Island, is what they nicknamed the little desk in the middle. It says a little bit of fun trivia for you. I don't know why they would call it that. There's nothing fantastical about it. Uh, and that meant they couldn't communicate with their drivers. They could on and off, I suppose, when the yeah. cable wasn't quite so broken at various times. And that meant they really went at a time when they could have perhaps applied more pressure to Ferrari in that opening stint weren't able to because they just didn't realize what was going on. They were holding station. Yeah, I think that, that that's what Toto said. And Lewis said during the race when he got his communications back saying, we didn't have, you didn't have to stop me that early. Mm. My tires were fresh. Mm-hmm. So had they left him out there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yes, he could have been potentially closer or had more, mm-hmm. number, of, more number of laps to mm-hmm. challenge the Ferraris uh, than he eventually did. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he would certainly have been further up the road had he, had he been... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let loose into free air and brought in later. Um, so, yeah, and remember, from the strategy point of view also, uh, they lost telemetry, they lost data, mm-hmm. apart from radio communications. James Valls, a strategist, was flying blind. He had yeah. people in Brackley and Bricksworth, and Toto said, I think, six or seven people at a mm-hmm. time talking to him and giving him the information numbers. Yeah. Can't have, been, can't have been easy managing that. No, exactly. It was extremely difficult. So they essentially ran the default strategy one stop pretty much in the middle of the race, lap uh, 30 to 34 it was for the Ferrari and Mercedes cars. There was an, a possibility to undercut, but they weren't close enough. Kimi Raikkonen perhaps could have overcut. And this is where it started to get interesting because Ferrari at this point obviously knew Vettel had a problem when not so many other people perhaps did. And he obviously had superior pace, also had better pace on the tyres, but was brought in only one or two laps after Vettel because had he not been done so, had he been left out, he probably would have passed Vettel in the pit stops, which was important because Vettel, in the end, needed his protection to win this race. Yeah, absolutely. I think Raikkonen was, uh, Raikkonen was brought in simply so that, mm. he, so, so, so that Vettel wouldn't lose track position to him. Um, Yes, he would have overcut him, and the difference in there in Raikkonen's uh, in lap and Vettel's out lap was quite huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vettel was on fresher tires, but Raikkonen's in lap was still faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the speed to overcut Vettel, uh, but yes, I mean, I I I completely see what I I, mm-hmm. I don't see anything wrong with what Ferrari did. It's very interesting, and we'll contrast that in a second, because Mercedes then started its own team play, because they got communication back roughly after the first pit stop. As you said, Lewis Hamilton then pointed out he should have stayed out. That might have had a big effect on this race. He suggested maybe could have been in better contention for victory had he been able to do that, but obviously that wasn't possible. But they allowed Lewis Hamilton to pass Valtteri Bottas. Bottas pulled aside. In one of these moves, I feel like we're seeing increasingly often in recent years with teams where it's, we'll let you go, but if you can't do anything with it in a couple of laps, you've got to give the place back. And that was the promise made. It was five laps and extended to 10 laps, and eventually they just sort of made it work. But 
interesting to contrast the two approaches at teamwork here. Now, Hamilton couldn't pass either Ferrari because it's very difficult to pass here and the, the pace wasn't big enough. But the tension between Raikkonen protecting another driver and Hamilton trying to, to pass both was, was really interesting to watch. Their approaches are very different and, and have been all season. Mm. Well, look, I think in Ferrari's case, well, any Formula 1 team, and we know Ferrari cares more about the driver's championship mm. than the constructors, but any Formula 1 team, its first duty of care is to ensure the victory for the team. Mm-hmm. Now, when it became clear that, yes, Vettel was in problems, but it became clear that Hamilton didn't actually pose any serious threat to the mm-hmm. win, then you know your victory is secure. And then you would obviously you would obviously favour the driver then who has the best chance in the driver's championship because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you want to go home with both championships. So in that sense, I don't see what Ferrari did wrong. In the Mercedes situation... Uh, because of their gesture of sportsmanship, because of Hamilton's mm. gesture of sportsmanship, where he gave that place back to Bottas, despite being seven seconds up the road, and Max Verstappen you know, breathing down the Mercedes mm-hmm. necks, uh, that gesture of sportsmanship, I think, and, and sacrificing those three points, I think that just made Ferrari look bad. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing wrong with what Ferrari did. No, it's interesting, though, because the response has been... And I, what I like and dislike about Formula 1 simultaneously is it feels like we're getting a... A, a more fanatical fan base, if you like, in certain parts. And obviously there have always been, you know, diehard Ferrari fans and so on and so forth. But some were critical of Ferrari because in a, not just the non-sporting sense, if we can call it that, although it wasn't necessarily non-sporting, but it was the slower driver who was given the victory. Ferrari had a one-two either way. They could have swapped their cars, but they gave it to the slower driver, obviously because Kimi Raikkonen is virtually out of the championship picture here. And I guess they were risking the fact that had Hamilton been able to pass Raikkonen, would have easily passed Vettel because Vettel was carrying a problem. They could have looked quite silly at the end of this by not, not securing the victory in the way that was most assured. Yeah. I think they, they, they would have obviously weighed the risk and the reward of the mm-hmm. situation. And, they, and, and they, they, they realized that Hamilton didn't have the speed to pass Raikkonen mm-hmm. because it was just so difficult to follow. Once you hit that one second uh, margin behind another car. Mm-hmm. And I know Hamilton did get within DRS range a couple of times, but... I think in general, once you hit that one mm. second margin behind a car, it was just difficult to get past or, or, or come any closer. So I think Ferrari hedged their bets that Vettel mm. would be that Hamilton wouldn't be able to pass Raikkonen, and that bet paid off. And let's look at the context here, uh, Michael, because Vettel went into this race mm. one point ahead of Hamilton after that Silverstone tire debacle. Um, here's a driver who's where well, they have to maximize uh, maximize the. The, maximize his performance for the championship. They have to maximize his result for the championship mm-hmm. given he had such a slim points advantage. And also looking ahead, they're going to circuits which are probably going to favor Mercedes. Mm-hmm. So they have to make the most of this for Vettel's title hopes. And the win was secure. So you'd mm-hmm. obviously throw your weight behind the driver who, who's going to give you the championship. And Vettel is going to win them the championship, not Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'd like to also add, when it came to Hamilton's case, where he sacrificed those three points, there was also the element of Hamilton has races like Spa, Monza, mm. maybe Suzuka, Malaysia, where he can make those three points back up, where you would expect Mercedes to have mm. an advantage over Ferrari. Ferrari doesn't have that buffer. I mean, I'm sure mm. these factors played into it as well. Another factor I'm sure played into it was what we saw at the beginning of the race when Hamilton was stuck behind Verstappen, as we mentioned. Now, 
There was a lack of impetus, perhaps, to overtake, although Hamilton may not have known at the time because Verstappen was going to be penalised. He was going to be moved out of the way. But Hamilton avoided trying to pass Verstappen, A, because it's very difficult at the Hungara ring, and B, because he felt Verstappen was pulling some questionable defensive moves. But knowing, as Ferrari did, that Hamilton couldn't pass what was... At that time, a slower car. Uh, obviously, Verstappen was much quicker towards the end of the race, but at that point in time was certainly slower than the Mercedes. Was more evidence to Ferrari that Hamilton probably wouldn't be able to pass uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Now, we've known Hamilton over the course of this year to say that the pace differential you normally need in these new aerodynamically high downforce cars is more than two seconds at times, which they didn't have over Ferrari. What is interesting, though, and I think what's going to be interesting to note for the rest of the season, and it has been noted so far this season on occasion, is that the Ferrari seems to have much less difficulty following other cars. Because Kimi Raikkonen, he did complain that his race was being ruined, his tyres were being destroyed, following so closely behind Sebastian Vettel. Obviously, we can't say necessarily that tyres dropped off because he was at such a reduced pace the whole race behind Vettel. But he didn't have any trouble following that whole time, whereas Hamilton, as you said, only a couple of times got into the DRS range because he more or less had to alternate laps in and out because it was so hard for him to hang behind Kimi Raikkonen. And that's another aspect where Ferrari should learn to keep track position because Mercedes finds it much more difficult to Mm. overtake than perhaps Ferrari would. Yeah, that's a very good point because, yeah, you're right. I mean, Raikkonen was was right up on Vettel's gearbox mm-hmm. on several occasions. He, he had no trouble following Vettel around. And mm-hmm. he, him, him complaining on the radio was also a bit of a, uh, bit of a sort of a message to the team saying, I'm faster, let me through, mm-hmm. Sebastian's got a problem. I don't want to be dealing with the pressure from the Mercedes because it could cost me second place, it could cost us the win. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a racing driver, he yeah. wants to win. He's yeah. going to try as hard as he can. Mm-hmm. And uh, President Sergio Macchione was there to listen. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, he, he heard it. I don't know if he necessarily listened. But the, the championship permutation is understandable at Ferrari. If we look a little bit at Mercedes, like you say, they did swap the position back. Hamilton lost three points. The, the situation is perhaps slightly more vexed because we've got Valtteri Bottas, who's further behind in the championship, but by no means out of contention, especially considering the Mercedes car by most understandings has a bit of an edge over the Ferrari, just not always is able to express it. He was allowed to finish on the podium when Hamilton was the quicker driver. So another situation, perhaps, where the slower driver finished in front of the quicker one. But it was the team approach. Toto Wolff was very fast to say after the race that they want to win in the right way or they want to finish in the right way in this situation. I mean, do you think that's going to be something that could hurt Hamilton? I mean, Valtteri Bottas, it seems like every race is getting more comfortable and better in the Mercedes. That could become a genuine title contention fight. Yeah, and remember, as far as Bottas is concerned, yes, I know there's this perception that Hamilton is the number one driver. Mm-hmm. But in Mercedes, they have no number ones. And as far as Bottas is concerned, he's hanging in there in the championship. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to then, just because you think he's not going to win, the, win you the championship, when the driver, obviously, Bottas believes he's, mm-hmm. he can fight for the championship, right? To then hobble him simply because you think he's not going to win the championship. Nah. Mm-hmm. And Mercedes has never had this philosophy. Remember, even when Rosberg and Hamilton were the only title contenders, mm-hmm. like in Monaco last year, for instance, uh, they disadvantaged Rosberg mm-hmm. to Hamilton's benefit because Hamilton was a faster car mm-hmm. and he could win them the race. Mm-hmm. And as he did mm-hmm. because of Red Bull, but he yes. did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's just the Mercedes philosophy. Had it been later in the season, where Hamilton probably wouldn't have had as many races to make mm-hmm. those points up, or had it been uh, Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. last year, for instance, I don't think Hamilton would have been so amenable to the idea. Yeah, well, it's interesting because 
Hamilton, and it's because it was a, an exclusive intra-team fight over the past couple of years with Nico Rosberg, so he only had to think about himself because there were no other challenges. It was purely about beating your teammate. Is playing a team game we haven't really seen him play before. He was very quick to emphasise that you know he did it for the team. It was the right thing to do for the team. It was, uh, it was a, the, the quote I'm sure that one of it was one of his favourites was it was more about the heart than the head, which mm-hmm. is a very Hamilton quote. Uh, I think it's interesting that he's thinking that, this is my interpretation anyway, that while Ferrari has all of its eggs in the Vettel basket, they're pushing him 100%, he doesn't have that advantage in this title fight. So it's important for him, unlike perhaps in previous seasons, to ensure the team is very much on side so when the time comes, they are 100% perhaps behind him. Yes, there is that there is that element. But from the Mercedes, yeah, that's from Hamilton's point of view. Yes, mm-hmm. that, that, yeah. I think so, yeah. I think you're right there. Yeah, yeah. Because the gap, and this is the interesting part, this is in the closing stages of the race now, uh, was up to seven seconds between Hamilton and Bottas to underline how much faster Hamilton was. Exactly. So had Hamilton not given up that position Mm. or had Mercedes not asked him to hadn't swapped their drivers, the seven-second margin would have been justification enough that, you know, Bottas simply wasn't close enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you could swap positions without without the risk of a stop and passing you. Yes, and and from the Mercedes point of view, t- to do the swap, I mean, look, uh, Mercedes, uh, they want to go for the win. Mm-hmm. The priority is to go for the win. That's why they let Hamilton through. When it became clear that it wasn't going to happen, third and fourth was the best they were going to get. They don't care which driver finishes third and which finishes fourth because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's the same amount of points. And by swapping the positions back. They came away looking good. The mm. brand comes away looking good. Yes. I mean, Toto said that. Yeah, Toto he was said very much, explicit yeah. about it being essentially a brand exercise Formula One. Yeah, which he is said not he said we've seen the consequences of ruthless, cold-blooded actions in the past, where Ferrari's mm. Ferrari's reputation has taken a hit during the mm. Schumacher and Barrichello years. Yeah, and he said that's not what we want to do. Now it's interesting. We talked earlier about the idea that had Hamilton gotten past Raikkonen and then Vettel, it would have been embarrassing for Ferrari. Potentially more embarrassing for Mercedes was manufacturing this swap back because it was manufactured. It doesn't mean it's incorrect, but it was manufactured because all of a sudden Max Verstappen, who everyone had written off earlier in the race for that 10-second time penalty, was showing extreme pace, fantastic pace. And this is because he stretched his first stint to lap 42 on super soft tyres, not unlike we saw Daniel Ricciardo do in Silverstone, manage excellent pace on the softer tyre. Then on the soft tyre, on new softs, was very, very quick, closed down that gap very quickly, and all of a sudden was threatening not just fourth place, but potentially third place if they didn't manage this correctly. Now, thrown the mix here that their radio communication was not always ideal at Mercedes Toto Wolff said after the race that this was one of the most stressful moments for him in recent memory because they had to switch this back and they only just managed it centimetre perfectly at the very last turn of the last lap where they figured Verstappen would have a very difficult opportunity to try and pass both of them but imagine a situation where they lost third and fourth in the process it would have been extremely embarrassing it would have been. It would have been a known goal. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, an enormous own goal, considering that, yes, they're in the lead of the constructor's title, but not by so much that you can yeah. willingly throw away points. And, of course, that affects and, the and, driver's And, and even though they would have still come away looking sporting for attempting the swap, mm. they would have still come away looking like idiots. Like and, amateurs in yeah. the sporting sense. Because yeah. at the end, it's still And they would have been criticized first. for it. Now, they're being mm. because it paid off, they're being, they're being sort of hailed for how sporting they've mm. been and, and, and the great team spirit they've got and equal drivers and all that. Mm. But it could so easily have gone the other way. 
And those are the fine margins when we're talking about strategy calls like this that make up a Grand Prix. So Max Verstappen finished fifth, but an, a, an excellent race for him after lap one, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, I think he did very well. But it's really the man who finished in sixth place that I think deserves some mention. Now, we've been relatively quick to pan the McLaren-Honda uh, relationship on this program, although I think it'll probably come good eventually. It's been a struggle for them this year, but today they scored very, very good points. Fernando Alonso sixth and Stoffel Van Dorn tenth, although it could have been better for Van Dorn. This was an interesting case of, of two different drivers for McLaren because on the one hand... Uh, it was pit stop strategy that sort of got Fernando Alonso sixth because it got him alongside Carlos Sainz. He just undercut him. And then they got to put on this fantastic race for everybody to watch. Well, uh, Fernando Alonso, I suppose you could say, experience getting the better here could pass Carlos Sainz. Yeah, I mean, we, we actually got to see a McLaren Honda racing another car. Mm-hmm. Which was, and, and, when and, was the last time winning, we could say that? Not winning, but passing you know, him. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, we talk about not winning. Sixth is, and this is why it's important that we talk about sixth place, is the best of the rest here. Normally it's seventh, but Daniel Ricciardo had recovered retired so the mclaren honda at budapest was the best non-front running car now yes this is circuit specific to a degree but it is nonetheless heartening i'm sure for mclaren to know that they're getting there i think it's great for them to go away into the summer break with this Mm -hmm. result because summer break is also the time for lots of decisions to be made Mm -hmm. and obviously one of the biggest decisions that's going to be made is uh is from is is for mclaren whether they're going to continue with honda or not Mm -hmm. And I know they said they've, they've set a September deadline, but a lot of the decisions will probably be, a lot of the thinking, a lot of the thought mm-hmm. process will probably happen over these next four weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, if we contrast Alonso, who nailed the pit stop, and, and uh, McLaren nailed the pit stop, with Stoffel Van Dorn, who actually missed his pit box slightly at his sole pit stop, and he was going later than Alonso. He uh, pit all the way in lap 42, so a similar race to Max Verstappen. Uh, overshot that pit box, which meant his pit stop was quite slow. In fact, his outlap was five seconds slower than Fernando Alonso's. And that lost him a place to Esteban Ocon. He finished only half a second behind Ocon to illustrate the point on a day where the McLaren was probably the best car of the midfield. So missed out on some points there. But his first point of the year, nonetheless. Uh, And I feel like we can't wrap up this program, even though it has nothing to do with strategy, without mentioning what I'm only going to call for the sake of the iTunes explicit tag, Ballgate. Look up Nico Hulkenberg and uh, Kevin Magnussen. It's just a joy. I mean, say no more. They say no more. There's a bit of a scrap on track. Magnussen pushed Hulkenberg wide and was penalised for it, but Hulkenberg made sure he knew about it. And well, Magnussen fought back. You could call it Honeygate as well. Could call it Honeygate. Maybe the that's honey slightly cleaner. Oh, it really did make it. I encourage you to give that a quick look on YouTube. That was the Hungarian Grand Prix, and that's the first half of the season. What a championship fight we do have on our hands. I can't wait for the second half of the season. But thank you so much for looking back at it with me, Abhishek. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. That was the strategy report for the 2017 Hungarian Grand Prix. But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for the pit stop stats, tyre data and Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Budapest. The strategy report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, the number one new racing game in Germany, Italy and Australia. You can download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in about a month when we resume the season and look back at the Belgian Grand Prix.